So much has changed since last Easter. The world has been shaken. Life has been disrupted. What we once called normal seems like it may never return. It's been easy to be discouraged, to lose hope, to feel the foundations of our faith begin to crumble. It's hard to keep our feet planted when the ground beneath feels like shifting sand. Now more than ever, we need to stand on the truth of Easter, a day which changed our eternity, changed our world forever. Death was defeated by life. Sin was consumed by mercy. The grave was swallowed up by victory. See, even in the darkest of moments, the love of Jesus could not be stopped. His faithfulness could not be broken. And when the dust settled, Jesus, he stood alive and victorious. Today, may we remember the truth of Easter, the power of the resurrection, and the promise of eternity. Yes, the world has been shaken, but the grave, it's still empty. And Jesus, he's still risen. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation, Jesus for us.
welcome you here this Easter, and to those of you joining us online, uh, I know that you may have your phone out watching the last part of the national championship game, but we are here to celebrate something even far greater, the greatest comeback ever of Jesus Christ, and that's what we gather around here in Easter, and whether you're joining us online or here in the room, we are thrilled to have you here, and so if you happen to be new, uh, we're especially glad that you're here, and and we're thrilled for you taking a chance on us, or if you're tuning in uh, because you're at home watching the game and you're watching this on a Tuesday, uh, we're glad you're here too, even those of you who are watching on Thursday, uh, we're glad that you're here and celebrating Easter with us, so we just invite you, if you are new, uh, you can download our free app, Element City Church, in your app store, and if you are new, we would love for you to do something with us. Tonight, we kind of introducing our free texting number. So, if you are brand new, I would love to personally connect with you. Our staff would love to connect with you. If you would just type the word hello and text it to this number, uh, then it will connect you with us, and I want to invite you to our 10-minute party afterwards. So, I already know I met a couple new people, so I would love to invite you to our 10-minute party after this service, or if you're online watching, just say, hey, I'm new, or text the, uh, the word hello to this number. We'll connect with you throughout this week, and if you're here in the room, we got free stuff for you. So, like, free the best kettle corn this side of the Grand Canyon uh, for you and a free pen, all that kind of stuff. So I look forward to meeting you after service with that. Uh, Download the free app with that. And also as we continue in worship, we're praying for the Church of the Week. Every week we kind of pray for, there's a hundred plus churches or so that are part of this network and we're kind of lifting up El Camino Baptist Church, which is a little bit further on the east side. Uh, And Pastor Bruce Ford, who's there, we want to pray a blessing over them as we continue to worship and as we're going to sing a little bit, we're going to look into God's word about kind of the reality of the resurrection, and then we're going to close with In Christ Alone, and I'm just excited for us and what the next 45 minutes or so, an hour or so has for us. And so would you just pray with me as we begin? Father, we uh, continue in worship and prayer, and and we want to lift up our friends at El Camino Baptist Church. God, you've created the church network here in Tucson to reach people, and we know that there is a million plus people in our city that we love that isn't connected anywhere in any faith community. And so we're praying and asking on behalf of El Camino that you would be with their leadership, that you would continue to uh, resource them and and give them leverage into their area of the city. Father, we pray that you would continue to raise up your church to, to introduce people to the resurrected Lord, to the one who is our hope that we can hold to, and the one that we sing to, that we pray to, that we worship in all aspects of life. And so the rest of this service, Father, we want to put our attention in your direction. We're asking that your spirit would move in our midst, whether we're here in the room watching online or watching this later this week. God, you are always at work. And so would you be at work in each of our lives? Would you tailor make... Would you just kind of tailor make the message and the hope that we need tonight for each, uh, each life here, each life listening in? Father, would you be at work speaking directly to them to let them know that you love them and that you're for them, that you're not against them, and that Easter declares that you love. And so as we celebrate and we honor and we put our attention on you, we ask that you stir our hearts afresh and anew. We pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone here said... Amen.
Jesus alive in me. Oh, Jesus alive in 
Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now my debt is paid, it is paid in full by the precious blood that my Jesus spilled. Now the curse of sin no hold on thee whom the sun sets free oh it's
One more time. Would you be magnified tonight on a day that we celebrate your resurrection and the resurrection life that we now get to live in? We just want to stop and make sure, Jesus, that you get all the glory, that you get all the praise, that you get all the honor that you deserve. That's why we gather. We gather to celebrate you. We gather to lift you up tonight. And so would you be praised and glorified by what you see, what you hear from us in this place tonight. We just thank you for the word that you wanna to bring to us, whether that be a word through the worship, through the sermon and your word, whatever it is, God, would you open our hearts to hear from you tonight, to hear what it is that you wanna say, to deliver the message that you want us to receive. Would we receive that the way that you intended? And so would you just take a moment, if you're up for it, pray for yourself. Ask God to speak to you tonight. Ask God to move in this time to say something to you from his word.
and take a moment to pray for Pastor Jack as he comes to, to share from the word. Ask God to anoint him. Ask God to anoint this message, to use it to speak to all of us tonight. Jesus, we love you. We trust you. Would you have your way in this place tonight? We pray it all in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. It's so good to gather together on Easter. And um, again, just welcome to, especially those of you who might be new tuning in or here in the room. I know it takes courage coming to a new place, and I hope that you're blessed in our worship. We're going to look into God's word here for a little bit, and then we're going to end with a worship song tonight, and just excited to have you a part of this. Um, uh, in case you uh, want something new, uh, new element stickers at the table on the way out. There you go. Um, now, I, I know a few people have one of these. Um, <clears throat> you know what these are? Really awesome blindfolds. Um, no, this is called an Oculus. It is a part of virtual reality. Anyone ever participated in virtual reality? You've put on these things, you look like a dork, and you're transported into another realm, right? Uh, and the reality of this is they call it virtual reality because the truth is when you have these on, like you are kind of somewhere else. But yet, listen, I don't know if you know this, you're still in the same place. And so sometimes it gets a little tricky because you think you're somewhere else. But the truth is um, we kind of do that. Uh, we have a way in our culture of virtual reality, right? Uh, how many of you have ever watched uh, what we affectionately call reality TV? Maybe you've binged that, uh, you've watched reality TV. Can I just let you in on a little bit of reality about reality TV? It's not reality. What? I know, I just blew your mind. Uh, but like it's manipulated, it's manufactured in a way. Uh, and the truth is, if we ever get to a place, and, and you may have some friends that have been there, or maybe you have kind of walked a darker road at, at certain times, and you realize that when you get to an unhealthy place, you can actually begin to fabricate reality and kind of make up your own. And, and the truth is that all of us, uh, maybe it happened when you were a kid, uh, when, after you did something wrong, your parents kind of had a reality check for you. Uh, maybe that happened in your young adulthood, maybe it happened older in life, or just different seasons throughout your life. You kind of had a reality check moment. Maybe it was a boss. Uh, maybe it was the job that you were holding on to, you thought you'd have forever, and then something kind of went sideways, and, just, and it's kind of this reality check kind of moment. And I want us to look at the resurrection reality. Because I am convinced that the resurrection can actually be one of those reality check moments. And the truth about a reality check moment is it's actually sometimes the very first step forward toward health. And so wherever you may be in your spiritual journey, if you're tuning in or you're sitting here and someone invited you to church and you took them up on it and I'm thrilled that you're here. Maybe you're skeptical. Maybe you would sit there and go, okay, you know, I kind of like this spiritual stuff, but this whole idea of resurrection, someone coming back from the dead, I don't know if I buy that. And you know what? You're actually in good company because what we're going to look at tonight is some of the scripture, some of the tension that the, that the people in the first century, when this happened, what they were kind of traversing and walking with. For some of you, you may have become convinced about the reality of the resurrection a long time ago. And yet, uh, you don't maybe live your life on a day-to-day -day basis 
uh, on the foundation of that reality. And so maybe God is just going to stir your heart in a fresh and new way to say, hey, listen, if this is reality, then let it kind of stir your heart to live in a way. And so uh, if you have uh, your phone, you can actually open up to the sermon notes in, uh, in our app and you can kind of follow along with all this stuff. I'm going to kind of blaze through a few things and I want you to kind of keep up with me on this idea of kind of traversing this, this, this narrative of the resurrection. And, and is it possible? Is it plausible? Is it probable? Could it have happened? Uh, the, the four accounts of the gospel uh, of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right? Mark is kind of the earliest gospel account we have. Uh, and it's used kind of as a reference as Luke writes his and as John begins to write his. His is a little bit different than a, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And, and so Mark kind of ends in a, an interesting way. In fact, the earliest text we have of Mark, kind of back in the kind of the first, second century, and what we have, it, it fades. It's kind of the story that fades. It's kind of like a dot, dot, dot. Now, older, uh, other manuscripts are found, and it kind of adds a few verses to it, but the very last chapter uh, of the book of Mark, it starts in verse 16, uh, in verse 1. It says, very early in that first day, just after sunrise, so this is that Sunday, the third day after Jesus was crucified, some women are on their way, and, and they're wondering, they're going to anoint the body with uh, spices and all that for embalming, right? And they're kind of trying to figure out who's going to roll this big giant stone that we know was put there. Who's, how are we going to move this in order to get in and kind of treat the body in a way for burial? That they looked up, they saw the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. They walked into the tomb and saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting there. And he said, don't be alarmed. Now, when you walk in on something and someone says, don't be alarmed, what are you? Alarmed, okay? Because you weren't expecting that. You were expecting maybe a giant stone to be there. You weren't expecting it to be rolled away. And you certainly weren't expecting a live person in the tomb, right, to talk to you. Don't be alarmed. I'm in a grave. Of course I'm going to be alarmed, okay? You're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified, okay? It did happen. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go and tell his disciples and Peter, that's a whole nother sermon, and Peter, that's amazing, He's going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And then the last verse of Mark, chapter 16, begins to fade. The, the earliest manuscript has, this is where it ends. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out, fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Dot, dot, dot. Now, we know from other manuscripts, there's a few other verses that are added in here very early on in the text that are part of the canon of the scripture, and we, we hold to that. But the rea isn't that a weird place for the story of the resurrection to end? Like, don't you find that a little bit odd? I do. I, I think if we're honest, we find it a little bit odd. In fact, if you're a skeptic, you probably look at that and go, well, yeah, why does the story end? Right there. Like, why would the story fade there? Well, can I suggest to you that resurrection had never happened? Have you ever seen it? Have you ever seen it? No. So, don't you feel like you might be a little bewildered in that moment? A, a little sense of awe? A little sense of, like, what in the world is happening here? Nobody expected to find nobody. Like, that's not on the radar screen. It's not on the radar screen of anything that's ever happened before and after. That someone would go to a tomb of a dead guy and his body not be there. Because he got back up. Like, 
that doesn't even compute. The ending of the gospel of the gospel of Mark actually lends to the credibility because it doesn't remove the, the, the messiness of it. If you're writing a story that's fabricated, well, then you would write a different ending. But a reality ending that's kind of a reality check moment that no one has ever experienced or seen before, well, then if it's a real story, you kind of leave the realness of it in, and it's really kind of messy. It's bewildering a little bit. One of the unique aspects of Christianity compared to every other religion is that it, it finds its unique beginning in a single moment of history. In a single moment. That's not true for Buddhism, uh, for Buddhism or for uh, Judaism or Islam or uh, even atheism. It's not the same. One day there was no thing, such thing as the church, and the next day there was. There was suddenly a group of people who believed in the resurrection of Jesus and even suffered to the most extraordinary sense of what they would go through for that cause. The four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all of them spend the majority of their book writing about the very last week of Jesus' life. Why? That's unheard of in biographies. But why are they focusing on that? Because with great unity, they are all saying something happened in that last final week that is the crescendo of all of history. In fact, all of history turns on the hinges of the story of Jesus. His earliest followers all went to their death proclaiming this reality of the resurrection. It's a historical fact. The whole city of Jerusalem was uprooted by it. The Roman Empire knew about it, and they were trying to figure out if CNN had been there, it would have been live. There are at least 15 historical references to Jesus meeting with people, talking with people after his crucifixion. One time he cooked breakfast for his disciples and ate with them. One time he spoke to over 500 people who were gathered after he had risen from the dead. A lot of people saw him. Now, there were certainly other rumors that were put out. You can read about it in Matthew, the last part of his gospel. Kind of some of the religious leaders of the day kind of said, well, let's kind of start this rumor that the disciples came in the middle of the night and they stole Jesus' body in order to kind of propagate this message of the resurrection. But think about that for the reality. So uh, Caesar, or kind of Pilate, has this Roman guard stationed at the tomb of at least 16 highly trained, what we might call SEAL Team 6 type people, and then the disciples, who are a bunch of fishermen and tax collectors, show up and take them over and get rid of them and steal the body. Does that sound plausible? No. Um, I've never been up against a SEAL Team 6, but I'm pretty sure I wouldn't last very long. Right? And so fishermen, I'm going to give them less of a chance uh, of actually being able to do something and to propagate this message. Uh, the reality is that all of them went to their death and no one recanted, and no one pushed back and said, oh, this isn't true. They went through torture and to their, to their demise, proclaiming the reality of the resurrection that they saw. The resurrection launched the movement that is Christianity on one particular event in one particular time and moment of history. Everything changed, which begs the question, is the resurrection of Jesus possible? Because it's definitely unique. We haven't seen it before, and we haven't seen it after. 
And so what does the resurrection actually promote and what does it actually mean? Well, I think it means that Jesus is who he claimed to be. That Jesus has the power that he claimed to have and that he did what he promised he would do. If you just look at some of the claims of Jesus, they're kind of radical when you think about it. Uh, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. Jesus made some outrageous claims when he was here on earth. He said things like, I'm God. I'm the only way to heaven. I'm the savior of the world. A lot of people try to limit Jesus to being a simple good teacher or a good humanitarian, but a good teacher would never say that. I might be able to teach you some good moral truths of life and you might say, Jack's a good teacher. But if I started calling myself God, you'd have a different take on me. And yet, that is what Jesus did. So Jesus is either who he says he is, or, or like uh, one famous uh, teacher said, he, he was the greatest liar of all history. He has to be one or the other. And the reality is, if he was the greatest liar ever, how has he convinced billions of people? Think about that. The reality of that. Jesus also said this. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to God the Father except through me. That's an incredibly strong claim. I'm the way. He didn't say I'm one way, I'm a good way, I'm one of the ways. I'm the way. Saying all roads lead to heaven is kind of stupid when you think about it. That's kind of like saying all phone numbers that I call will lead me to contact my wife. Well, no. There's only one number, if I want to hear Amy's voice, that I call. I don't call random numbers and expect to get my wife. There's one way in how to do that. Jesus said, I'm the truth. That means other things that are said have to be maybe untrue or not the complete truth. And so he backed up what he said. The resurrection proves so. Mark 10.34 says this. Jesus said, they will mock and flog and kill me. But after three days, I will come back to life. The cross was no surprise to Jesus. It was all part of God's plan. And he did what he promised. When God makes a promise, you can count on it. Easter proves it. When God makes you a promise, you can count on it. That's why his resurrection matters. And so the reality of the resurrection is for us to begin to wrestle with. Now, if you're feeling a little tension, either watching from home on your couch, you're like, I don't know if I totally buy that preacher, dude. Uh, I mean, because that's, like, that's a heavy claim. I get it. I get it. Because it is a heavy claim. It is a crazy reality. And sometimes it's easier for us to kind of fabricate reality and live in an alternate reality or to go to a virtual reality type thing. But sometimes it's the reality check that kind of shakes us that actually gets to help move us forward into health. And, and maybe the resurrection is kind of that reality check for you. Have you ever actually considered it? And if you're feeling that tension, well, then you're in good company. Because there's a conversation that happens on the day of the resurrection where Jesus actually walks up on two people who are walking seven miles from Jerusalem to this town of Emmaus, right? And they're on this journey and they're having this conversation because they've heard the women who've come out and said, listen, uh, Jesus isn't in the tomb. Like, 
I don't know how to tell you this, but like he's come back to life. Like the angel said he was back to life. I'm still trying to get my mind around him. And, and then Peter runs and he investigates and they see an empty tomb. And, and they're all kind of wondering because this has never happened. Uh, expect, I mean, think, put yourself in that situation. If you're living in that reality and kind of trying to get your mind around this, then it's a struggle. And a couple of these early followers are, are kind of taking a walk. Right, and, and they're processing this conversation. And this is what happens in Luke 24, toward the end of his gospel account. Right, So now it's kind of the same day. Two are walking. It's seven miles. So think about the time you've hiked seven miles or something. Think about the length of time of what that is. Right, And, and they're arguing with one another, kind of debating about, okay, here's the turmoil that's kind of happened. Here's some things that are going on. Here's some things that are being said. I don't get it. Uh, verse 14, they said they were talking with one another about everything that had happened. As they were talking and discussing these things, Jesus himself came up and walked with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. Jesus is so good at this. I don't know if you've ever read the gospel accounts, but like there are so many moments where he's like Jedi Jesus. Like people are going to try to stone him and throw him off a cliff, and he's like, you will not do that today. And he just walks through the crowd. And so here he is again in the resurrected form, showing up to people he knows, the people that know him, and yet he's not quite revealing himself. He just wants to kind of eavesdrop on the conversation. What are you guys talking about? How fun is that? Uh, for Je Jesus has a sense of humor. I hope you realize that. He's not all high and mighty and stuffy. Think about the reality of that. Hey, guys, what you talking about? <laughs> okay. Um, they kept from recognizing verse 17. They asked, what are you discussing together as you walk them out? That's what Jesus asked. They stood still, their faces downcast. They're sad. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened in the last couple days? Like, are you kidding me? Are they asking me this question? What things? Oh. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was this prophet, powerful in the word, deed before God and all the people. The chief priests, our rulers, handed him over to be sentenced to death. They crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem all of Israel. We had all our hopes on him. And the story's over. But then it's like a semicolon. Because people are saying he's back. And I, I, I've never seen that. And I don't get it. I don't have my mind around it. It goes on. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. Nobody expected to find nobody. They came and told us, and they've seen visions of angels who said he's alive. Then some of our company went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. And then Jesus, still kind of cloaked from them recognizing, said, how foolish you are. Imagine a stranger coming up to you. How foolish you are. Would you take that offensive? Wouldn't you be like, whoa, whoa, whoa who are you? Like, you just got here. You don't even know what's going on. I just informed you. How foolish are you and how slow to believe all the prophets had spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning clear back in the Old Testament, in the story of Moses, he begins to connect the dots of all these prophecies that Jesus fulfilled as the Messiah. As they continue on this walk, seven miles, they finally get to Emmaus, right? And Jesus acts like he's going to continue to walk on, but it's dusk, right? And these guys are like, hey, you know, it's just, we want, hospitality is a big deal and a part of that culture. And they're like, would you just stay the night, go in the morning, it's almost nighttime. Jesus comes in, they have a meal together, and Jesus breaks bread. And in that moment, they recognize they have been walking on a seven-mile hike with Jesus, the risen guy. And their eyes are open, and Jesus disappears. How cool is that? 
I hope my heavenly body can disappear like that. That's cool, right? And so he just disappears. These guys are like, weren't our hearts burning within us as he's connecting all these dots? And they take off immediately at night, running seven miles back to Jerusalem to talk with the disciples. And when they get there, you can read on. Jesus walks through a wall, and he's there. And he eats fish so he can prove, here's my hands, here's my feet, touch them. Give me some fish to eat. I'll eat it. I'll prove to you that I'm alive. I'm not a ghost. I'm not kind of some, you know, Obi-Wan, you know, hologram type thing. I'm the real deal. And his disciples are blown away. Why? Everything's starting to come clear. The reality of the resurrection is beginning to come into clear focus. And that is an amazing thing. Now, do you still have questions? You might. Does that fully convince you? No. The question is, is it possible? And I think what we see throughout history, the historical account of the resurrection begins to point to the possibility of this. I know it hasn't happened before. I know it hasn't happened since. But see, the resurrection changed everything for those two guys. So much so that they ran back seven miles at night and said, we are convinced. And then the disciples and Jesus is there and they become convinced and we see so many other ways that just a few months later, you have a guy named Saul who, whose name is changed to Paul who was actually deeply offended by Christianity. This movement of people who talked about the resurrection and this resurrected Christ. In fact, he went so far to do everything in his power to stamp it out. And then the resurrected Christ meets him and says, Saul... Uh, reality check moment for you. And Saul becomes Paul, and his life is completely changed. He was a Pharisee of the Pharisees, a religious dude to the nth degree in Judaism. He stepped out to squash this Christianity movement, watched over people dying, proclaiming their faith in the resurrected Christ, and him killing them, watching over that. And yet, he then encounters the resurrected Christ, and his life is forever changed. And he goes from a guy who tries to stamp out Christianity to the greatest church planner of the first century, proclaiming the, re the resurrection reality of who Jesus is and that he is who he says he is. And he lives his entire rest of his life proclaiming that and dies for that faith. That's crazy. Normal people who are believing a lie or are believing a hunch, they don't go that extreme. But for Paul, he became convinced, so much so that he went from radically hunting down Christians to being probably the, the best church planner of the first century, proclaiming half of your New Testament scriptures are written by a guy who tried to stamp out Christianity. That has to mean something. It can't mean nothing. That's profound transformation. The resurrection is a paradigm-shattering historical event, an event that transformed Paul, transformed everyone that encountered the resurrection of Christ. 
It has transformed billions of people throughout history. Paul goes on to write this letter to Ephesus, right, where he says, here's what I'm all about. And here's what he writes, verses 1 through 5 of chapter 2 in Ephesians. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins, you used to live in sin. Just like the rest of the world obeying the devil, commander of the powers of the unseen world, he is the spirit who is at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live this way, following the passions and desires and inclinations of our own sinful nature. By our own very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everyone else. Verse 4, but God. If you have that in your Bible, just circle that. Because that's how it was going. But God changed everything. That's what he's getting ready to say. But God, who is rich in mercy, who loves us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, has given us life in the raised Christ, as he raised Christ from the dead, it is only by God's grace that you've been saved. We were dead in our sins, but God. We were rebels against him, but God. We were enslaved to Satan and into our sinful nature, but God. These are two of the most important words in the scripture. But God changed everything. The resurrection changed everything. His grace meets us at just the right time. He he goes on, verse 8 through 10. God saved you by his own grace when you believed, and you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for good things that you have done so that no one can boast about it. We are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus that we would do good things that God has planned in advance for us to do. We became saved by grace. Um, I don't know if you ever watched uh, ESPN's documentary on the four falls of Buffalo, kind of tracing the, the record kind of failure of the Buffalo Bills who went to four straight Super Bowls 1990 through 1993. The first one they lost in the last eight seconds as Scott Norwood missed a 47-yard field goal and the New York Giants went on to win the Super Bowl. And even 20 years later as they interviewed Scott, he began to describe his feelings this way. Sorrow, I guess. That's what it would most describe. Disappointment in letting the team down and the people I went to on the field of battle with And I get choked up even thinking about it now, putting myself back in that situation. But nothing prepared Scott for what would happen on the flight home from that that Super Bowl loss. As the team landed in the jet and they began to exit the plane, he just wanted to disappear into kind of the background and just fade off, get in his car and go home. But he started hearing the chants, we want Scott. We want Scott as 30,000 screaming fans begin to cheer his name, and he had to move forward and grab the mic to respond. Here's how they describe that scene. We got back to town, he says, and I didn't know what to expect. I really just wanted to remain behind the scenes, and yet there was this chant that was going, and I did not expect to be pushed to the front of the line, and I had to speak off the top of my mind. And you know what he said? The documentary shows Scott with a mic in hand, the crowd chanting behind him, I know that I have never felt more loved than right now. He expected condemnation, and yet he found a small taste of grace. The fascinating thing is Easter, this single event in history that launches the entire Christian movement, is God meeting you and meeting me in our failure moment of life, in the darkest moment 
him still extending grace to you. You may have expected condemnation, but Easter declares you are loved and there's an invitation given. Would you respond to it? Is what Jesus is kind of whispering. What Paul writes about in Ephesians is, hey, we were in desperate need of grace. We needed to be reached out to and God did that. We need to be raised up in grace and he did that. We need to be saved by grace and man, he did that. We need to be equipped with grace, and he sure did that. We need to be recreated in grace, and he has made us a masterpiece, and we need to be sent out in grace, and you are now his workmanship, sent out to do good works which he's prepared in advance for you to do. See, the good news of Jesus is not a series of bullet points, not some sort of wisdom proverb. It's not a gospel set on principles. The gospel of Jesus is a story about one man, God, man, who is the Savior and Lord of the entire earth. And when that intersects your life, what are you going to do about it? Because it demands a decision. It demands some kind of step. You can try to downplay it. You can try to ignore it. But you can't dismiss it completely. The reality is it it almost demands something. See, resurrection taught back in the first century when this happened was not preached in the early church as some kind of representation of wonderful higher spiritual truth like we need to all keep on hoping. No. The resurrection was preached and proclaimed as a hard reality, a paradigm shattering, maybe even inconvenient, but impossible to dismiss fact. It happened. It's a resurrection reality. And what are you going to do about it? You can try to downplay it. You can try to dismiss it, but you cannot completely ignore it. It's not like virtual reality. It's not like reality TV. It's not a fabricated reality that you create. It's a resurrection reality that really happened. And it almost calls each of us, every single time, to respond to it. Uh, What are you going to do with that? And so maybe you're ready to say yes to that. Okay, uh, I've been around spiritual things. I've been searching in my own spiritual journey. And I've been trying to create and kind of craft and curate my own path. But if you were to ask me how that's working for me, uh, I'd say not all that great. What if this Jesus really is who he says he is? Really has the power that he showed that he had? And what if he can actually bring that kind of power and healing and hope into your life? Would you say yes to him? And maybe you're here in the room, maybe you're watching online, and and your next step is to say, you know, I'm tired of dancing around this. I actually just need to say yes to him. And if that's you tonight, I can't think of a better day than Easter to say yes to the Savior who has pursued a relationship with you. So say yes to him. And maybe you're not at that place. And then maybe your yes is just simply to take the next step in his direction. As he is a Savior who's been pursuing you. And and what would it look like to open up your life and your mind and your heart to say, Jesus, if you are real... Like, alive right now, 
would you continue to step in my direction and I'm going to take another step in yours and would you just continue to meet me and surprise me much like he did on that first Easter Sunday. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene. He's not here. See where they laid him. You go tell his disciples and Peter, the one who flubbed everything up. You go tell and Peter that he's coming to meet you. I can't think of better news than a, a Jesus who not only went to the cross to prove his love for you, but got back up so that he could forever be in a love relationship with you. You don't ever have to walk any day or any moment alone again, period. That's what it means to say yes to Jesus. It's eternal life starting now on into eternity. It's life with God now on into eternity. That's what it means to say yes. Does it mean all your questions go away or all your doubts go away? No, I still got some. But here's what it does mean. I don't navigate life alone anymore. And I don't have to navigate life on my own anymore. I have a living hope. That's the hope I have. That's the hope many of you have. And that's the hope that you can have if you'll say yes to him, or at least say yes to another step. And so as the, the team comes to, to kind of lead us, uh, I just want to close with a couple verses. Romans 10.9 says this, If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved, period. That's how it happens. It's not a magic prayer. It's just coming to a point, an intersection of life, where you say, I'm tired of living my own way. Jesus, I need you. I need you. I, John 3, 16, for God's soul of the world that he gave. That's what love does. Love gives. He gave his one and only son that if you would believe in him, you would have life with God eternal. You wouldn't perish. You would never feel a separated moment again from God. And so as the worship team leads us in, in this final song of In Christ Alone, if you're online, uh, I would love for you to talk to Laura, our host, and, and say, hey, man, I want to say yes to Jesus, and we'll follow up with you this week. If you're here in the room, I'm going to be standing right down here. I'd love to celebrate with you, give you a Bible, just kind of cheer for you, uh, talk to the friend that brought you. If you're just willing to say, I want to step in the next direction and say yes to him, then you take that step, and you continue to follow after him and investigate him and allow him to surprise you much like he did on that first Easter morning. So, Father, that's what we pray for. As we worship Jesus, it's all about him. It always has been about him. It always will be about him. This reality of the resurrection can meet each of us in the moments that we're in. It can stir our hearts afresh and anew. For those of us who've been walking with you for a long time, I pray that this story would never get old. It would be a real living hope kind of story that helps us in our Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. And for those who are maybe watching online or in the room who are considering, I pray that you would give them the courage as, as you've been tapping on the door of their heart even now for them to open that up and to say yes to you, Jesus, to confess with their mouth that you are Lord and that you did raise from the dead. 
And we want to put all of our eggs in that basket, so to speak. And we want to hinge everything that we have to that. And to let you be the one who walks with us each step of the way moving forward. So, Father, would you move in our hearts as we sing this song? Would you stir us in a way that allows us to live in Christ and for Christ alone, we pray. This is the power of Christ in me, from life's first cry to final breath, Jesus commands my destiny. No power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me Let's sing this together. 
Easter. Once again, everyone, we're so glad that you decided to join us. Uh, so if you're online again, you can fill out the connection card. We'd be happy to get connected with you. But if you're here in the room, uh, what are you going to do later on tonight? You're probably going to go home, probably going to watch something on TV, maybe Resurrection on Discovery Plus. I don't know. Maybe The Passion of the Christ. Why not watch it with some free kettle corn? So head to the back. Uh, Jack would love to just get to know a little bit more about you so that we can connect with you and find out how can we help equip you? How can we get connected uh, or get you connected to the body of Christ here at Elements? So uh, he'll be back there. Again, it's called the 10-minute party. You don't have to be there for 10 minutes. It might be two minutes, whatever. It's short. That's nothing. You can do that. I promise you. Uh, but we also want to invite you back next week. We're going to be starting a new sermon series called The Good Life. It's all about the Beatitudes. And so we're going to be preaching through the Beatitudes uh, over the next, I believe it's eight weeks, Jack. Is that right? Eight weeks? I, I got a hand up in the air, so I think that might be a yes. So that's good to know. So uh, there's that too. Um, other than that, uh, we just, here's my heart for you this week. In the same way that the two walked the road to Emmaus, they knew that Jesus was with them. Their heart burned within them when they found that out. May you go forth in the reality of the resurrection, knowing that Christ lives within you that he is there to help make sense of any and everything that's gonna happen. And would your heart burn within you this week, just at least in one moment when you know that Jesus is there, he is with you. He is there to help this life be the good life. So we love you. We hope to see you next week. Be blessed.